Lord, it's our privilege to um, be able to gather together like this in your name. And we thank you that you are involved in our lives. Thank you that you personally uh, think about us and walk with us every week, every day of our lives. And to think that you are the king of the universe, to think that you are the, um, oh, the son of God, the most precious, we, we can't even find words for it. Yet in all of your grandeur and all of your glory, you love us, you came to earth, you died for us, and there will come a day when we will live with you forever and in heaven, and we just thank you for that. And so we pray now that you would open our hearts and help us to look into your word so that we can draw closer to our King. And we thank you, Lord. Amen. When I uh, gave my life to Christ and began following um, I started attending the uh, chapel that my uncle was a commended uh, missionary from. It just seemed like the natural thing to do. But, you know, it, it was fun, but it was a whole new world, actually, because um, I hadn't really gone to church uh, pretty much uh, most of my life. And so um, th- there was the excitement of seeing how things were done, and then there was the befuddlement of not knowing what to do. Uh, trying to fit in. I remember one time going to a Bible study at an elder's house, and um, I, you know, I, I didn't know who was going to be there and everything. And, there, and at that time, we had like a, a youth group or a young adult group that was really my age, and some of them had newly come to Christ, you know, sort of just like me. And uh, so that was exciting, but it was just like getting used to something different. You know, um, like I remember showing up there and uh, you know how like people wear jeans with these massive holes? Uh, these are like designer jeans. Well, my holes weren't that big, but they were my best pair. And I remember sitting there going, you know, maybe I need to invest in, when I get some money, invest in a new pair of jeans here. And it was just like the temperature was 140 degrees. And these people were talking about Scripture. I didn't know anything about Scripture. And then I wound up sitting next to the girl who would be my future wife and feeling like a complete dweeb. I don't know if you know the dweebish feeling, but that I had it. You know, so those were very interesting days and, and how to fit in and everything. And I realized that a lot of these people there were much holier than I was. I mean, they, they knew the Scripture, and they, they were mature, and their answers were so tempered. And there was this girl named Jane, and uh, not her real name, but um, she was just like the epitome of holy. She was like, I mean, probably just a couple of years, maybe older than I was, and um, very soft-spoken, and she knew the word so well. And like, if you were like having a conversation, and you said something maybe a little bit off, the chart or she would just very humbly be able to correct you and she was she was like really pretty and not only that she had dimples and it just like it just made her sort of an angel and I know she didn't have wings and and I got my theology correct that this doesn't happen to us and all that but you know it's just like you know and so like I was surrounded by people like that and uh, it's like how do you behave then in this group of people. Well, we're going to be talking about that actually today. How we behave uh, in public following our Lord. Now, Jesus is giving his disciples 
an orientation, and that is all it is. This is sort of quick and dirty. Uh, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, it says, His disciples sat down before them. Him, He lifted up His eyes upon His disciples. He opened His mouth and He taught them. And He's giving them sort of a reorientation to what it means to actually live before God and what it's going to actually mean to follow Him. And from the beginning to the end, he talks about the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven shouldn't be confused in terms of the Sermon on the Mount being something special and having a special interpretation because at the very end, when almost the last words Jesus says when he's leaving his disciples, um, they say to him, are you going to deliver the kingdom to Israel at this time? And Jesus says to them, The Father's already determined the times and seasons. You don't need to know anything about that. And then he gives them Acts 1.8. But when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And that's what we're doing right now in this aspect of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God as it exists right now. What Jesus is telling them here is just, this is what you need to think about. This is how you need to follow me. And so just to kind of really briefly review, Jesus talks to them about, Um, uh, you know, the idea of what is it going to take for you to enter into the mindset to be useful here? And that's what we call the Beatitudes, the the attitudes about, uh, about serving in the kingdom. And he talks about being poor in spirit. And why not? Because this is a wrecked world. He talks about hungering now and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Why not? Because this world is going down and it needs our compassion. It needs us to be thinking about how we need to engage. He talks about um, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. He says those people are already being useful. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And being willing to do that because right now, is the harvest. Right now the fields are white. Somebody needs to get out there and be doing that. That was part of the orientation. He calls them the salt of the earth. And then he says, now don't think that I'm going to create something completely new, like I'm going to get rid of the law and all of that. He said, basically, he's talking about the Ten Commandments. He says, you need to live those things authentically, not in a religious way or a church way, kind of straddling the line. Well, I, I guess I'm good because... I do this. He, the first thing he talks about is anger. If you're going to be salt and light in this world, you need to realize that you are wrecked and you live in a wrecked world. You need to have mercy. And he ends that entire section with saying you need to be merciful as your Father in Heaven is merciful. Well, today, he gets onto a subject that is really kind of interesting because it has to do with pursuing God but not in a way, how can I put it, that we seek our glory from other people. I know that kind of seems weird, you know. Um, Obviously, if we're following God, we're going to do it openly, and people are going to be able to see it. But there's the tendency in church to do it for other people. How do people look at me? And I guess that's why I told that story at the beginning, because I was sort of like um, out of my depth when I came to know the Lord and I came into this group of people. Now, how am I supposed to behave there? Now, in Jesus' day, what what the, the disciples grew up with was a very, um, 
showy uh, kind of following of God. The Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, those were the guys you wanted to emulate. And Jesus is basically saying here, you need to change the way you think about things. It is not about how you look to other people. It is how you authentically, in quiet, in silence, look to God. And as we go through these, I think we'll see that these things really do apply to us. So, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Beware of practicing your piety or righteousness. The word is actually righteousness. You're carrying out of following God before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, there's some things that we have to define here. Um, He says, and if you have different versions of the Bible, it'll maybe appear differently, beware of, take heed of. It basically is saying, focus your mind on this, not to do what I'm going to tell you to do. Focus your mind. It's supposed to be... A, a part of our concentration, I think the reason is, is because it is so easy for us to do this. It is so easy for us to want to look good in front of other people. Um, and he says, in order to be seen by people, guess what? This is where we get the word theater from. We're doing theater in front of other people. And then he says... For if you do that, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And so this is one of those things that I need to define a little bit. Um, What about this whole thing with rewards? I mean, some of you right away are are thinking about um, uh, claim it and name it, or name it and claim it, and, you know, prosperity theology and all this kind of stuff about rewards. Well, here's the thing, is that Jesus does talk about rewards. And rewards are talked about in the Bible. So if you've been reading through Hebrews uh, in a one-year Bible, you came to that one of those early verses in Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, in order to please God, you must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. It's right there. So what exactly is that talking about when it's talking about rewards? And why should we actually seek them? Why is that supposed to give us hope? And it is. It's, it's meant to give us hope, and it's meant to give us encouragement, and it's meant to help us to endure in hard times, actually. Well, um, as I was puzzling about this in our, um, our Wednesday night discipleship group, uh, some of the guys started getting on to this, because here's the interesting thing. When you get... Into Hebrews chapter 11, it says this basically twice in that chapter. Now, all of these sought the promise, but it was never fulfilled for them. But they kept seeking it. So it was never fulfilled. And you think, well, so what reward did they have then? If they sought the promise and and it wasn't fulfilled and they never saw it, then what reward did they have? And here is the thing. When we follow the Lord... He does reward us. He gives us stuff. We just need to have our eyes open for that. And God has an ironic, uh, I won't say sense of humor, but an ironic way he does that to kind of separate the men from the boys and, and all of this in terms of faith because oftentimes the way he blesses us 
in that reward that He gives us is to, it's a spiritual reward. It's kind of unseen. It's like something that we understand, but here's the deal. It doesn't necessarily come with a remote. It's not like getting new tires for your car. Or it's not like having uh, um, double-pane windows on your house or something like that. You know, it's useful. We like to think of rewards as things that are useful. Things that I can adjust. Things that I can be happy with. And what if those rewards that God gives us are really personal for us in our relationship? And I, I want to challenge you throughout this entire message while we're thinking about this to think on your life and think about what things that you have as a result of times where it has been really, really tough to follow the Lord. It was a good challenge for me because all of a sudden I thought I saw these things popping up and going, really? That's right. If I hadn't gone through that, if I hadn't had to suffer through that and have my name cast out as evil... I never would have been at that place. But see, these rewards only make sense if you really have your focus on the Lord, if you're really seeing clearly. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, let me give you a real small example of this. And it's really kind of an ironic example. Okay. Um, It talks about Abraham, right? Abraham didn't see everything that God was going to do, but he did see a little bit of it. And Abraham was in the wilderness for 25 years before God made good on him having that that son of promise. 25 years of following, of leaving a city and leaving family and leaving comfort and leaving indoor plumbing and leaving good cell phone reception, all those things. To live in Canaan. Were there any rewards in all of that? So, um, you know, and and this is just kind of a weird thing. But, um, so Jesus is in conflict in John chapter 8 with the Pharisees. And they say, hey, we're children of Abraham. Jesus said, you know, if you were children of Abraham... You would welcome what I say. Because here I am, a man standing before you, sharing what God shared with me, and you want to kill me. That's not what Abraham did. I remember reading that one time, because, you know, I've read it, you know, if you read the Bible every year, you read it every year. And I remember reading that one time and going, wait a minute. When did Abraham not kill somebody because of something he heard? And, you know, so anyway, this is kind of weird, but you have to trust me on this. So here's the deal. Abraham, you remember the story uh, of Abraham meeting the angel of the Lord and those two angels that were going to go out to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And the angel says to Abraham, in a year, uh, Sarah's going to have a baby. Sarah's in the tent listening at the keyhole, you know, laughing. "Ah, That's not going to happen. Because you can hardly believe that that would actually happen to her, right? Do you realize... That God, the Father, has never been seen. Never been seen. Holy Spirit has never been seen. The only manifestation of the Trinity that has ever been seen is Jesus, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And when Abraham talks to to the angel of the Lord there, he's addressing him as God. And then it occurred to me, what Jesus is sharing there actually took place. Here I am, a man, 
telling you what God has told me and you want to kill me, but, adding a couple words, but when I did that with Abraham and I talked to Abraham, that's not what Abraham did. Abraham got to talk with God. He got to talk to the pre-incarnate Jesus. I think that's a reward. Right? Wouldn't that be cool? And then, honestly, you know, if you say this in a large enough group, some people are saying, I'd still rather have the thing that you could use with the remote, or I'd rather have the tires on the car. But see, for Abraham, that was a reward of those years of enduring. And what I'm seeing here, and what Jesus is saying, he's teaching his disciples to live their life in such a way that they know there will be a reward in following and I think he's saying that to us too. So, here we go. We've got a match now. Um, Matthew 6, 2-4. He says to them, Thus, when you give to the needy, sow no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What he's talking about here is the, the idea of giving, you know, acts of mercy. And he's saying, you know how it's done here in Israel. The Pharisees go out and they make a big theater of this whole thing. When they, they go out and they give alms to the poor, etc., etc., he's saying, you don't do that. You do it so quietly, nobody knows that you did it, except your Father, who is in heaven. And, and it is kind of the thing here, he says, that it may not be seen by men. People find out. Paul even says that in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Good deeds will eventually be found out, so don't worry about it. But it's the idea, not doing it on purpose. Now you say, well, that's really no problem, is that? So what does Paul say at the end of 1 Timothy, in chapter 6? There are some who think that godliness is a good means of gain. Right? The way they practice their Christianity is bringing in this stuff. It's given them a, uh, you know, it's given them a reputation and everything. Acts chapter 5, you don't realize how important that is. This is the first instance in the new church of a couple seeking prominence through giving. It's just like, it's just like the, the church is so new and they're trying to already become an important thing. They saw Barnabas give a gift and they're going, wow, everybody loves Barnabas. You know what we should do, honey? Let's say we gave it all. Let's sell that property. We'll keep, you know, we'll keep a good portion here, you know, so we can buy something with a remote and all that. But, but we'll give it there, and then they'll have our names on the plaque. And what did God think about that? He didn't think that was funny at all. And you know the thing is, he stopped doing that kind of discipline back then. But that happens today. All the time. People seeking position uh, because of what they give. Uh, because of their acts of mercy. And the thing is, is you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave it here. But, you know, if you read 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's the funny thing about, you know, the listing of gifts and all that. The first thing Paul mentions is the jealousy of people who want a different gift. They don't want the little gift. They want the big gift. Because I'm not a hand, I'm no longer part of the body. I'm just a menial foot. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you would have been a farm owner? I mean, you would have been the boss back in the day, right? And one of your little peon slaves becomes a believer. And God, in His messed up sense of humor, gives him the gift of pastor-teacher or the gift of prophet. But you've got the gift of maybe helps or something. But he's the guy with the voice. But you're the boss. You should have the voice, right? You've got seniority over that little guy. Do you see how that could start tearing up the church and start bringing things off kilter? And it was. In Corinth, it was. All over. I saw this happen in a church. And the guy had a wonderful gift. He made it a little bit ostentatious. Made himself kind of popular. And the problem was he wanted to be the boss. Ah, did not bode well. Anyway, Jesus is saying, don't do it. But he's also saying, if you do it, if you have this gifting, if you, the, the Lord moves you to be generous, do it quietly. Do it before your Heavenly Father. And He, and He's saying this, He will reward you. Okay, praying. This is a big one. He, in verse um, 5, it says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that, you, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, again, it's talking about the rewards. And this is a big section here, but, you know, again, it's one of these things where in the church, how do you let people know how mature you are? You pray. You know, I, this really messed me up, but I'm going to share it with you. So, I'm, I'm in this Brethren Assembly, and I have no clue how they do things. I show up on Wednesday night, and they have a prayer meeting, right? And then they break up in small groups, and, you, and you're, you're kind of like with basically different elders. We didn't have that many people, you know, in the, in the church. But So I remember these young guys who had come to Christ. I mean, some of them were like miles ahead of me. I mean, miles ahead of me. You know, I, I didn't know how to pray. And I would listen to... I was, in a, I was in a group one time. This is what I'm sharing with you. I was in a group one time, and there was this young guy. He was the younger brother of some of the guys who were really on fire and going nuts and everything. And so there were like um, there were two elders here and another guy and then this young guy and me. And, uh, my, you, know, I, I, you know, I didn't know when to pray or what to pray or what. And it, anyway, this young guy started praying, and he was saying good stuff. I mean, he was really saying good stuff. And whenever he would say some really good stuff, this elder over here would groan. Mm. And he would say another good thing, and this other elder would go, hmm. Mm. And I listened to him pray, and these two guys got going. He was like pr- playing them like an organ. They were making, I, I think I even heard Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star in there somewhere. 
And I got, when I got up to pray, I didn't know what to do. I just, you know, thank you for this and thank you for that. And I shut up and it messed me up. It messed me up because the, the thing that occurred to me, am I praying for other people? Because when they got done, that was the other thing too. When we got done, as we were walking out the door, I was standing with these two guys, and they were talking about how mature he was. And what a great prayer that was and everything. And I thought, man, I can't even come close to that. Even among us, it can become a thing. And Jesus says, go in the room and let this be authentic there. Not in public, but authentic in that room. And then he goes on, because this is such a huge point. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up phrases like the Gentiles. Because the Gentiles, also, they were, they were using God like a vending machine, right? Or like a one-armed bandit. If you throw in enough nickels, something good's going to come out eventually, right? And so, he says, don't do that. He says, they heap up empty phrases, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then as a young believer, this one really whacked me. Okay, if He already knows what I need before I ask Him, tell me again while I'm praying. And you know what the, the short answer is? Because you want to talk to Him. It's because you want to talk to Him. I remember when I first became a believer, it was a thing like, like if you're really holy, you would pray on your knees. And I don't know why, and I can't explain it, but on my, my right knee, if I got down on that knee, it was just like somebody stuck me with a knife. I couldn't get on my knees. If I did, I would, I would kneel on pillows. And you know what my favorite line was when I, when I knelt to pray? Lord, forgive me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Oh, oh. I was always falling asleep on my knees. So I take my dog out for a walk on the tracks. We had Chicago Northwestern went right by our house. And um, I take dog out on tracks. And it was like you could see for miles. So there was no way a train would sneak up on you unless you wanted to commit suicide, you know. And, in fact, I was up there one time and my dog actually got hit by the train. And, and it was okay. She survived. But then I had to take both halves for a walk. And that was hard, you know. Well, actually, it was the um, it was a step down, hit her right in the head. <laughs> anyway, she she lived. But I would go up there and pray for hours, for hours praying. That is cool, and nobody saw it. That's the way to do it between you and God alone. And then he goes on, and he says. Because it's relation, right? It's just you and God praying. So if he already knows what you need, and then Jesus gives him the Lord's Prayer, and it says, pray like this, and you guys can all recite this. Our Father, our name, and hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is, and give us there daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, if you give those trespasses, and deliver us from the evil. The doxology isn't there, so they didn't let us repeat that at Dallas Seminary. The, Here's the deal. Okay, Jesus is saying, don't get lost in empty religion. And see, I grew up in that, right? Because I grew up in Milwaukee. Milwaukee's like hugely Catholic. And so, uh, you know, Hail Marys and all sorts of other scripted kind of things, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm still thinking, so what is this about? And I, I'm just going to cut to the chase because I'm running out of time quickly. Um, it's a model prayer. But I think what Jesus is actually saying is when you come to me and pray, remember this. 
when you come to me in prayer, remember this. Here's some leading thoughts. You have a Father who is in heaven. And He knows you. He knows your name. He loves you like a Father, but He's in heaven. He can do stuff. Your dad couldn't do stuff like the Heavenly Father can do stuff. And here's the other thing. Hallow His name. Set it apart like nothing else on earth. Live to honor your Father. That's a great guiding thought when you come to prayer. Your kingdom come. His kingdom is coming. That's hope. Your will be done. It's not being done down here, but it will be someday. And God does have it in order in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those are just good balancing thoughts when we pray. Give us this day our daily bread. He gives us our daily bread. We don't worry about our bread, do you? Do you worry about your bread? You don't worry about your bread. But He gives it to you anyway. That's what you need. He, you don't, do you worry about your, your pulse? Your next breath? All that comes from God. It's like a heart of thanksgiving. He gives it to us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us or forgive our debtors. Um, this is a little bit different But what he's signifying here is when you come to pray, be very careful about your relationships. I'll talk about this in a second. And then lead us not into temptation. What does that say to you? What that says to me is every time, every day I wake up, I know I am a weak individual. I am a vulnerable individual. So when I come to prayer, I am asking God for a lot of help. I never leave the house exactly whistling a happy tune. I kind of know at this point in my life who I am and that it's so easy to get whacked. And so to have that mindset, God, I need you going out the door. And not only that, because of my own weakness, but we have an enemy. You don't need a special sermon on spiritual warfare. If you just let the the Lord's Prayer run through your head every day, there it is right at the end. Deliver us from the evil one. And then he goes on to say, and this is really interesting, because every time Jesus really talks about prayer, he winds up talking about relationships. And he says here, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, just to say that when Jesus started talking about those things about the law that are going to be there forever, the first thing he talked about was anger. Don't think you haven't murdered somebody because you haven't murdered them. That sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Um, If you're angry at them, and the idea is you've lost perspective of being on the dying planet. You've lost perspective of who you are and how you need mercy. So we need to extend mercy to other people. And what he's saying right here is your relationships are really important. Because this is a prayer, right? What hangs up prayer? Holding grudges. Okay, so when Jesus curses the fig tree, the disciples are like awestruck. And Jesus says to them, look, you know, if you have faith, you'll be able to just say to this this mountain or this tree, you know, be rooted up and fly over there and all that kind of stuff. And then immediately after he says that, and when you, he says, when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. So what's the relationship? Anger holding grudges, not having a heart of mercy, empties out prayer. 
He's saying if you have faith as a mustard seed, you'll be able to say to this mountain, be removed. If you're mad at somebody, whether it's your wife or your husband or anybody else that you work with, and you're holding a grudge against them and you're unwilling to forgive them, man, you can't move fuzz. That's all you can do. It kills prayer. It kills the Father responding to you in prayer. And Jesus says here, and He says in other places, don't let that happen. That's why He takes this time right here to talk about relationships. And I, I read, I forget where it was in um, we, uh, uh, Robinson's Word Studies or something, uh, just the, the complication of that verse. It's that if we are not forgiving other people, we probably don't think we need to be forgiven by God either. So if we're not forgiving other people, we're probably doing stuff that needs to be forgiven and God is looking at In other words, forgiving other people makes us sensitive to our own failures. So a person who extends mercy knows that they need it themselves. And rolling right along here. Fasting. I wonder if I can do this fast. Um, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, here's the deal about fasting. is It's not really taught in the Bible. The Jews only had to fast one day in their whole religious year, and that was on the Day of Atonement for like 24 hours. If I fast for 24 hours, my body doesn't even know I need food at that point. My, my scale will not even respond to me fasting for 24 hours. But there is a sense of fasting. And, and you know, I, I've seen people try to incorporate this in churches and try to make it regular, and then it becomes religion and kind of defeats the purpose. It's what... What is exercising your heart before the Lord? What do you really, really, really need from Him? What do you want so badly that you are willing to skip meals and put your face on the floor and you're willing to say, God, I need this? Now, that is a good test. And Jesus says, when you get to that place, do it in secret so nobody even knows that you're doing it. Because these guys would fast. And then he goes on here. It looks like in verse 19 that he's actually uh, entering a whole different subject here. But I think this is actually getting close to the point of everything. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's actually the, the word. It's really kind of ironic. I, I'm, the, the words do not treasure up for yourself treasures. Do not treasure up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think this is getting to the point. What do you really, what, what really has value for you? Sometime what, sometimes what really has value for us is what other people think about us. Now, let me, you know, I'm going to kind of run through this a little bit quickly. Um, 
Jesus talks about the seed that's thrown on the rocky soil, and it grows up quickly with great joy, but it has no root in itself. And when persecution comes, it fades away. And you know, the thing is, is that oftentimes for us, we love Jesus. I remember Don Sanukian at Dell Seminary talking about this. We love Jesus. Oh, we, oh, how I love Jesus. But this is more important to me. It isn't like Jesus isn't important. It's that something else is more important. It's, it's the thing that begins to creep in and occupy our hearts and minds. We're not talking about idolatry. We're talking about needs. That's why the next part of the Sermon on the Mount is about our physical needs. And Jesus, I think here, is saying, what is really important to you? Be very careful. Because we, even as believers, we still think that heaven is on earth. And it's like, if I die, that, that's awful bad. I'm going to miss all the gusto. Right? Because the gusto was only down... And that is so wrong. I, I, I realize death is not our friend. But that is not to say that the best is not yet to come. But that's kind of how we live. And that, that seed that grew up in the rocky soil, that came up quickly, and then it was persecuted because of the Word and then fell away... That is really interesting. So in John chapter 5, very quickly, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says to them, he says, I've come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another person comes in his own name, him you will receive. He says, how can you believe in me who receive glory from men rather than the glory that comes from the only God? We receive glory from men. The rewards of God... It's like, really? doesn't come with a remote, does it? But these people here, they really like me. And that's immediate. And that's good. Uh, Joash in the Old Testament, the story of Joash, he's that, that, little, that little kid that got hidden uh, so that um, Attila the Hun, that woman who was kind of the queen there, wouldn't, wouldn't kill him. And he got hidden by uh, Jehoiada, the priest. And when he was six, they made him the king and everything. And here's the little line. He was true to the Lord as long as Jehoiada lived. And what happened when he died? He went into worshiping idols and he killed Zechariah, Jehoiada's son, between the sanctuary and the altar. Because he knew that's where he'd be at a certain time of the day. He was good as long as it looked good. So, I go off to college and I... You know, after, yeah, I don't know how long I was gone. And uh, come back to the chapel and I'm talking with people. You know, and people come and go and all this stuff. And I say, I, I don't even know how we got on the subject, but I, I, I say, like, where's Jane? Oh, yeah, well, so what happened? Well, you know, she just, she started attending UWM, University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. And, uh, you know, it started getting kind of spotty and every, her attendance became kind of spotty and, and, uh, you know, we, we tried to, we tried to find her and what, what uh, apparently happened was she had a professor there who really challenged her about the Word of God. And, um, and she started, you know, doing this thing here. Well, it was more than, it was more than that. She eventually married the guy. And from what I understand, he wasn't, not only wasn't a believer, I think he was an atheist. And, uh, 
she found someone who was more important in her life, right? And that's sad. I, I mean, you know, there, there's no real joy in that. But how do you know that about people? Because she looked, and she had dimples, by the way. Did I tell you that? I mean, she really looked solid. She looked like she was mature. But sometimes there are things in our lives that are more important. Where is our value? What is really important to us? Because what Jesus is saying here, it has to be so important to you that if nobody even knew about it, you would stand there and you would die for Jesus Christ, that you would get there and you would be with Him. You would live at His feet. If nobody even knew about it, you would give. If nobody even knew about it, you would fast. If nobody even knew about it, Is he that important in the everyday living of your life that you're willing to give him the time to read his word and sit at his feet? You are willing to give him time, and I hate to sound like an old guy, unmultitasking time to pray to him. You go into the room and you shut the door instead of, you know, it's wasted time when you're driving, right? So you may as well pray to God, right? I've done it too. But I'm saying, does he really get legitimate time from you? Because that's how you know the value. It's what happens when nobody is looking. And then the final thing here, and this is a really important thing. Uh, So I'm going to be as cryptic as Jesus is. Uh, Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the darkness, in, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What do you understand? What do you understand? See, because if your understanding is uh, about this whole thing is is healthy then that will guide you in the right direction. You will know how to legitimately honor your Heavenly Father and pursue Jesus Christ. But if your eye is unsound and you think that somehow, you know, if I just show up on Sunday, I'm good, good to go. If I just do this, then I'm fine. Then I think what Jesus is saying is going to get you into trouble. When, and we've seen this in Hebrews and in Galatians. When you warp your understanding of Jesus, you make your eye in sound. It's like poking out one of your eyes. And as a result of that, your relationship with him is going to suffer. So it's the idea I think he's saying here is be very careful about what you think you understand is the right way. You worship God in spirit and in truth. The Father wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Not... Some kind of, well, they didn't see me do that, so I'm okay. You know, I'm, I'm kind of riding on the line here, so I'm okay. That will warp your understanding. That will start to fill you with darkness. So what about rewards? I would share one, one little reward with you. Um, and especially this idea of living at Jesus' feet and, and, and trying to understand. You know, I mean, there's no, 
There, there's nothing wrong with growing in your understanding, but trying not to understand and trying to, to skim things in that, boy, that, that gets in your way. But, but being simple and trying to understand does have some rewards. So in John chapter 12, the little story there about they're eating at the house of Simon the, uh, the leper, and uh, Mary's serving, Lazarus is there at table. The 12 disciples are, are sitting there, you know, who knows what they're discussing and everything. And in walks Mary, simple, weepy little Mary. You know, she's the one who sat at Jesus' feet while her sister was going berserk serving, you know, putting mints on the plates and all that kind of stuff. But Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And what did Jesus say to her? One thing is necessary. Mary's chosen the portion that will not be taken away from her. Hmm. And then when Lazarus dies, this poor weepy Mary come in there and she's all teared up. And when Jesus saw Mary weeping and those who had come with her weeping, he was moved within his own spirit. And Jesus wept. Weepy little Mary. So at the dinner... I wasn't there. But I think something happens. You know, because Simon the leper was in Bethany. It's the same city as Mary and uh, Martha lived in. And it may have been that at that meal, or maybe prior to that meal, maybe, but she understood something. She understood something that that the 12 geniuses didn't see because they get on her case. She understood something the 12 geniuses couldn't even fathom. But I think God gave her a gift. He gave her a little reward. And so she breaks this, this flask and she anoints Jesus. And of course, the 12 geniuses have this huge malfunction, you know, especially Judas, you know, because he's like, man, there's not any money coming into the money thing for me to steal now. And Jesus says to them, he, politely, he says, Leave her alone. What she has done for me is a beautiful thing. It is for my burial. And now wherever the gospel is preached, this will be a memorial to her in memory of her. And I think the Holy Spirit showed Mary that this was for his burial. I think she understood something was happening. Maybe she couldn't put it into so many words. And I just want to encourage you guys with this. You know, we follow God, we follow God, we follow God. What, are, what do we expect from Him? But Jesus says, live in expectation. Get quietly with Him. And I would say, ask Him for things that ply your heart. Ask Him for your neighbor. Maybe you need to fast, but just don't let us know about it. Maybe you need to give to people who are in need. Just don't let us know about it. You need to pray and pray and pray because we're on a dying planet with this expectation that your Father in Heaven will see it and He will reward you. And the harvest will increase. And He will bless your heart in a way that you never thought possible. But do you have the faith to pursue Him? Heavenly Father, we thank You. You have not made this a joke without a punchline. You have made this something that is a living relationship where we follow You every day. And there are hard days to follow You. There are hard weeks to follow You. There are hard months. There are hard years. 
Yet when we look at these stories in the Old Testament, we realize that your people were incredibly blessed, even though they had to endure long and hard things. And we will be incredibly blessed, too, if we will turn our heart to following our Savior authentically and strongly, praying, giving, just crying out for this harvest, uh, loving the people around us, being, being their brothers and sisters, but doing it in such a way that we understand that you're watching and you're not wanting to penalize us. You're wanting to bless us. You're wanting to reward us. You're wanting to open our hearts and to show us things we would never have seen before. And I am happy to live in that expectation. I don't care about the remote controls. I don't care about the tires on the car and all that stuff. But I would see Jesus. That's what the Greeks said when they came to him. Sir, we would see Jesus. And that's what we want. Amen.